Hello, everybody. Welcome into Toe on the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. Welcome to episode 13. I'm Justin Shackle. David Cohn is here. James Smythe is here. Our producer, Dan Rourke, in the house as well. It's the final show of 2021 for us, but it's also a, a first here on Toe on the Slab this week, David, because we have our first hitter joining the program and we said at the end of last week's show if you are a fan of the new york yankees you're going to be really interested in today's guest who do we have joining us today well he's the number one prospect in the yankees organization right now anthony volpe he's their number one pick from a couple years back he signed out of high school he really burst onto the scene this year and got the attention of everybody in the industry i mean everybody across the board Talks about the, the leap that this kid made. And now all of a sudden, he impacts the Major League uh, front office decision-making process. Uh, do we sign a big-time shortstop? Or uh, do we wait for this kid to come around, among others in the Yankee organization? Uh, you know, they have some good young infield, middle infield prospects. But Anthony Volpe is the number one prospect in the Yankee organization right now. And we asked him about that because he's a little unique when it comes to prospects as it pertains to being a Yankee farmhand, right? You think of a top prospect, and Anthony's the, the top Yankees prospect. He's ranked 15th in all of baseball prospects by MLB.com. But this is not a kid who kind of had the luxury of playing all year round. He's not from California or, or Florida or Georgia. Anthony Volpe is from New Jersey. He grew up in New York and in New Jersey. He grew up a Yankee fan. And he grew up in that tri-state area. So not only is he now an employee for the team that he rooted for as a child, he's the organization's top prospect. There's a lot of heavy investments in, in his well-being as a player. And at the same time, he understands the fray that is the New York baseball scene. So it was interesting to kind of pick his brain about that. We asked him about what this offseason's like because even though he's still a few levels away from making his big league debut, his name is being thrown out there in the offseason discussion. Well, yeah, it is, you know, and this is kind of goes to the heart of the battle between new school and old school. You know, the, the new school is, is just evaluate players by analytics uh, and, and go from there. Uh, the intangible part, you know, how do you, how do you quantify a, a kid's makeup, his character, how, how he imp, imp, impacts his teammates around him? Clearly, Anthony Volpe has some great intangibles. Uh, everybody who talks about playing with him loves playing with him. He tells us a story about trying to communicate in Spanish with some of the Spanish-speaking players, and they're trying to communicate in English and kind of a Spanglish kind of a, a repertoire going back and forth. And, and he just has that it factor. And, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to put a, a mathematical equation on that. I don't know how you quantify that, but say he certainly has it. I think it matters. I know I'm biased because I was in that clubhouse for – 22 years as a professional baseball player. So I, I know it's real. I know, but it's hard to say, well, you know, how does that equate to wins? Well, yeah, I'm, you know, I think if you're in the Yankees organization and you're in the front office, you're glad to hear those stories about this kid and his makeup. Before we get to the meat and potatoes of this week's episode, this is a, this is the funky week of the year, right? Right between Christmas and New Year's. A lot of people don't know what day it is, but uh, here we are. Uh, our final show of, of 2021. David, you have migrated from New York to Florida. And the other week when we were, we were on a Zoom call, James, one of the first things that David showed us in his uh, Florida pad was this in-home karaoke machine. So it got me thinking 
And, uh, you know, I want, I want to get both of your opinions here, David, what, what is your go-to karaoke song? And, and James, same thing, man. What's your, uh, what's your go-to karaoke jam? James, go ahead. I'll let oh, you no. go first. I got, I got to think about, I got to think about this. So Cody, you go first. Well, you know, I, yeah, the only thing I can do is kind of growl, you know, it's kind of my broadcasting too. When I try to, you know, enunciate, you know, I end up getting this growl in my voice. So, you know, I go to Joe Cocker. You are so beautiful. <laughs> so I'm, I'm an old school Joe Cocker guy and I just kind of growl and scream into the mic. Did you ever have a, a karaoke experience during your playing career with some former teammates that sticks out in your head? No, not really. You know, I mean, that wasn't something that, uh, you know, the, the 80s Mets were looking to do to go to a karaoke bar. We were looking for a different kind of bar back in the 80s. So <laughs> and certainly the 90s Yankees were, were similar as well. So, uh, you know, karaoke is kind of something that I'm getting into with my 10 year old son and he loves it. So it's more of a family affair kind of a thing. But you know, I could say, you know, Daryl Strawberry and I, we weren't looking for a karaoke bar back in 1988. <laughs> James, what do you have? I, I get, I, uh, anything, anything old school rap. So I'll, uh, I'll go with that. Might be a little uh, incongruous, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, anything like that. Can you give us a couple biggie, a couple biggie uh, phrases here? Armed and dangerous. Ain't too many can bang with us. <laughs> There we go. No, I, the the rap the rap route is is really smart if you have an idea that the crowd knows the words, right? You want to pick a song where the, the crowd knows the words. So like, I'm I'm in that boat with you, James. Like, forgot about Dre. Ah, oh, all right. Is, is one that always pops into my head if if I were you know going to do karaoke. Um, but also you know the the simple sing-alongs too, like '90s kid, uh, like Tub Thumping. Oh. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, it's a simple sing-along one. What is, is there any song, David, that your son has surprised you with? Like a classic? He loves Nicki Minaj, and he's pretty good. He loves all the female rappers. Doja Cat, Nicki Minaj. He's all over it, and he sings like them, and he's pretty good. He's got some pretty good flow and some pretty good rhythm. So, yeah, that's it. Nice. The uh, in-home karaoke battles in the in the cone uh abode down in florida very very interesting this holiday season all right david what do you have for us for this week with the opener you know i'm going to piggyback on uh, you know we talked about the two different baseballs in our last episode with dr meredith wills uh you know it's an interesting topic that's not going away but to me more importantly moving forward and there's some experimentation uh, being done on this but in the olympics this year uh, that were played in japan uh, the mizuno baseball has sort of a uh, a pre-tackiness to the baseballs. So there's no need for mud to rub up the baseballs. The, the leather is already pre-treated to have a little slight tackiness to it. Uh, interesting that the the, uh, the United States players love the feel of the baseball. The, the, there were rave reviews about it. Um, so, so, you know, what we've had this year, we've had the, the spider tack issue uh, in the middle of the season. We had rules changes. We had umpires check, checking pitchers. Uh, more baseballs than ever are being used in a game. If a baseball touches the ground, they throw it out. You know, it's a, it's a pearl. It's ready to go. And, oh, that touched the ground, throw it out. Uh, you know, back in the day, so to speak, you know, I, I pitched. I, I guarantee you I had a couple of innings where I pitched with the same baseball all inning long. Whether it hit the dirt, I'd throw a slider in the dirt. Jordy would block it, throw it back to me. It would be beat up, and I could still use that baseball. That's a thing of the past. But what that does is it – it makes you use a lot more baseballs. The number of baseballs that go through in a major league game now are enormous. 
compared to 20 years ago. So all those baseballs have to be rubbed up with the Delaware River mud on the Jersey side. I know a lot of Jersey people want to know that's <laughs> the Delaware River, but it's on the Jersey side where they get the mud. But that's a lot of baseballs to rub up. And the quality control on that is, is an issue. They're different. Uh, uh, it's a lot of work for the, for the clubbies to do. The umpires aren't rubbing up those baseballs. There's some kid in the clubhouse in the umpires uh, locker room that are rubbing up those baseballs. So that being said, it'll be interesting to see moving forward with all the baseball controversy, the one that flies, the one that dies. Maybe the most important thing might be if they can find a new baseball that is pre-treated, that's a little bit tacky, that might solve all these problems with uh, whether the baseball or the pitchers need a grip or whether they're using spine tar or spider tack, uh, this could be something to follow moving forward. Wh- whose job is it to mud up the baseballs? Is it the umpires? Because I feel like the clubbies are tasked with something like that. But officially, is it the umpire's job? It's under the jurisdiction of the umpires, but there are clubhouse attendants that work in the umpire's locker room. And a lot of times they're the ones that are doing it and helping them out. So, um, you know, without a doubt, I, I don't see – you know, uh, the home plate umpire, the umpire is rubbing up dozens and dozens of baseballs before they go out and work a major league game. It's just not going to happen. It's not feasible. Maybe, as I said, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, when you only went through, when you went through several dozen fewer uh, baseballs throughout the course of a game, maybe more umpires did do some rubbing back then. But I've always heard since, since my career and at Yankee Stadium in particular, uh, and talking to the clubhouse attendants, that uh, they're, the ones, they're the ones doing the rubbing up. And uh, it's just a can of mud they get from the Delaware River and, you know, they just put slap it on the ball and rub it up a little bit. And no two are the same. And, you know, by the, by the time you get the baseball, you know, out into the game, it's kind of dried mud on the baseball. And it's, it doesn't really, I mean, it helps a little bit, but it's not uniform uh, it, and no two baseballs are the same. I feel like a lot of people, when they, they hear this, they're like, well, the baseball looks pretty white when I see it on TV or in person, but yeah, there's a, a layer of light mud and it, it kind of doesn't have that Brown color to it. It's more like a grayish slate color, but yeah, it's um, you know, I've seen clubhouse attendants in the minor league level have to mud up the baseball. So that's what I was, was curious about, but you're right too, David, like the average life expectancy of a baseball these days on the field is just, awfully short it's 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 sad because they they go through so much prep and they only see the field for for so you know probably not even an inning the average life expectancy of a major league baseball it's uh it's tragic sometimes um all right guys anthony volpe our guest this week like we mentioned top yankees prospect uh, one of the top prospects in the game in the sport based off a dynamite 2021 season james to you what stood out when you take a look at some of the statistics with Anthony Volpe made 2021 so special and a big reason why he kind of jumped on the radar to so many people who follow the Yankees, but also follow the minor leagues. Well, just that he had a really big jump, you know, 2019, 2020 was kind of a big question mark with him, even being a first round pick because we didn't really see him much. You know, he only played 34 games in his uh, first dip into, into pro ball. And, and then the 2020 season um, in the minors getting, getting canceled because of COVID. So it was a little bit of a, a big question mark. And then he comes out and has a fantastic year, not just hitting 294, but having a robust on base percentage, 423, 
and uh, showing a lot more power than I think a lot of the evaluators were expecting going into, you know, a, a first full season. So, you know, hopefully it, uh, hopefully it keeps up and we'll see how he goes. And he's still so young. That's the other impressive thing about it for him to be at the levels he's been at high a low a in 2021 in his age 20 season. So he's only turning 21 uh, in April. So it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he continues his development, but very impressive so far. Now the power he talked about 27 home runs in 2021, 33 stolen bases as well, showing a lot of tools on the field. And James, like you mentioned, turns 21 late April, April 28th, uh, this, this coming, uh, you know, 2022 season. So he'll be basically be turning 2021 at the start of the next season. Without further ado, here is the Yankees first round pick from 2019, their top prospect and a Jersey guy. It is shortstop Anthony Volpe here on Toe in the Slab, pitching with David Cohn. Anthony, thank you so much for coming on here. Hope that you're having a, a great holiday season. And, man, 20 years of age, you go out, you have really your, your first full season of pro ball in 2021, and you light it up. Now the top Yankees prospect in all of their organization. You're one of the top prospects in all of minor league baseball. But you have kind of a unique story here because you you grew up part of your life in New York, also in New Jersey, about an hour away from, from Yankee Stadium. So as a local kid, you know how much people in this New York area, they love their baseball and especially the offseason. They kind of make like an offseason blueprint for their team right after their team season ends from the year prior. So I, I know this is kind of all out of your control. You like to you know, think about what you can control. But when you see and you hear the debate of whether the New York Yankees, the team that you, you rooted for as a kid, whether they should bring a, a marquee superstar free agent shortstop aboard or find a stopgap because they think that you are on the horizon. How does that make you feel as it relates to your background? Yeah, well, again, thanks so much for having me. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of surreal when you hear like, friends coming back into town on Christmas break and they say stuff like that. But I mean, I know I probably sound like a broken record at the end of the day, um, whether it happens this year, next year, whenever I just, um, just really like to stay in the present and just work every day to try and become that player that one day um, is, is that player that wins multiple world series with the Yankees, you know? So I think that's, that's the long-term goal. And um, I have a lot of short-term goals that probably, um, I have a lot more, like I said, that I can control. So that's kind of all I'm really focused about. And wherever the chips fall, they fall. What are those short term term goals for us? Yeah, exactly. Short term goals. <laughs> yeah. So hopefully this year, um, playing at a higher level, I just want to, um, stay really consistent, consistent with my routine, consistent with like pregame work, postgame, like all my preparation. I just want to be um, really locked in to just give myself the best chance of succeeding every day. And so with that, I mean, last year, um, I, I felt like I really, really hit the fastball well. And um, with that came like a lot of guys started pitching me different. And um, just right now, like I'm working on a lot of stuff with my swing to kind of just give myself more margin for error, more um, ability to cover more parts of the strike zone. So it's just um, kind of stuff like that, that I feel like over the course of a season, if I stay on top of the things I have to feel like I have to stay on top of, then um, 
the rest will take care of itself. Yeah, you know, Anthony, I, I was, you know, I got a chance to meet you and your family right after you signed at Yankee Stadium. You know, I could see right then, you know, that you're part of a, a strong structure at home and a lot of support. Uh, can you take me back to that decision, how tough it was? Because I know your teammate, Jack Leiter, ended up going to Vanderbilt, doing pretty well there. You had that opportunity. Probably could have gone anywhere. Vanderbilt's as good as anywhere now. Uh, how tough was that decision, and how good are you feeling about that decision right now? Yeah, no, it was definitely tough. Um, looking back, I've I've talked to Jack a bunch about it and family and stuff like that, but I just felt like I just had such a win-win situation either way it went. Every time I laid my head down at night leading up to the draft, um, whether it was one way or the other, I, I always felt at peace with it. And once it kind of clicked and I knew I was going to go full-fledged into everything, I kind of tell buddies and and people now, like, I just couldn't imagine a more like a different universe where I was there right now. Like once, once everything became official, um, I, I just couldn't put myself there. Like even when people ask, like, could you, could you even imagine that this would be your next draft year at Bandy and stuff like that? And um, yeah, it's hard to describe. I don't really know, but I'm definitely so fortunate to be in such a great organization with the Yankees. Like, I mean, like I said, um, I grew up such a big Yankee fan. I mean, when I told my parents I was doing this podcast, they freaked out because they remember watching your perfect game and everything like that. But um, growing up with all that, you think the Yankees and the whole organization have so much tradition and it's almost larger than life. And then being a part of it, it's it was kind of cool to experience that everything you hear is true and they take care of us the best that um, I, I've obviously experienced. But um it's just first class everywhere, everywhere down to the bottom. David, you were in a similar situation growing up. You were drafted by the Royals, the team that you, you grew up watching. What was that first pinch me moment that you had when you entered the organization as a professional when you were drafted by the Royals? You know, it's a similar story to Anthony's. You know, I'm a hometown kid. I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. I was drafted by my hometown Royals. Uh, I'd never even been to New York before I was traded to the Mets back in the 80s. So uh, I was pretty naive. But nonetheless, I think the bad, you know, the thing I'm interested in is that when you look at Anthony and his development, you know, that, that's come on so strong over the last year or two, uh, to, to me, it, it, when you balance both, he's going to get to the big leagues quicker. He's going to have more control over his career. And yes, I understand that the, there's value in the education of Vanderbilt and there's value in the growing experience there, but he's in the system. He's already knocking on the door. You know, there's a chance he can make another big leap if he continues on his trajectory. And by the time he would have been a junior at Vanderbilt, he might, he might be wearing pinstripes in the Bronx already. So to me, that's a tremendous advantage. He's obviously taken, taken advantage of, of his situation. And, uh, Certainly, you know, Anthony, I've seen and watched you just on video. We don't get a chance to watch you very much, but your hitting style to me seems to have really evolved. You're really driving the ball. I know the Yankees minor league system has great coaches. Uh, they're now moving up to the big league level, guys you probably worked with. Uh, do you think about launch angle? Do you think about, can you tell us the evolution of your swing and how you're driving the ball? Do you, do you, are you thinking about a level swing? You think about staying on plane? And give us some of the buzzwords that you use or that you've been taught about your hitting style. Yeah. So um, thanks so much about all the stuff about hitting, but I mean, I think I got really lucky over COVID to just kind of, I mean, I, I kind of tried to take ownership of my own career and learn about myself, learn about what I needed, what works for me so that when I hear the buzzwords and stuff like that, that 
I don't really fall into those kind of traps, I feel like. So, I mean, for me, it's as simple as, I mean, it may sound simple, but um, when I'm feeling good, I don't really think about too much. I don't think about trying to hit the ball in the air. I just try and um, get a good pitch and take a good swing at that good pitch. And now um, I think a lot because of the work I did over COVID this offseason and everything, um, I feel like when I'm taking those good swings, they're a lot more powerful, a lot. They feel a lot more effortless to me, which I really like, but it's coming off a little different, which um, is a great feeling. So I'm just trying to keep that going. So James, can you break down some of the numbers that, that Anthony put up uh, over the last year and, and give us your perspective, maybe throw in, throw in a, you know, a talking point? Sure. Um, Anthony hit 294 in 109 games this past season. That was split between uh, low A Tampa and high A Hudson Valley. 294 average, a 423 on base percentage, and a 604 slugging percentage with 27 homers and 86 ribbies. And not just in the Yankee system, but throughout all of minor league ball. Uh, Anthony, you were considered one of the players that took one of the greatest leaps from 2019, 2020 to 2021. And you didn't really get a lot of game reps uh, going into 2021. 2019 uh, was... Uh, somewhat derailed with uh, with mononucleosis and then the whole COVID shutdown in 2020. Uh, but I've heard you talk about how you mentioned it before with uh, taking ownership of your own career, but the kind of uh, independent uh, work that you did and remote work with the organization's uh, coaching staff. Uh, what, what kind of things did you do considering that you didn't have a whole lot of time on the field in real games? Yeah, I mean, like you said, co- I, I had mono my first um, half season, and then that was already leading up to that spring training. That was the longest I ever had gone without playing baseball. And then going into COVID, it was, I mean, it was obviously tough on a lot of people. But um, yeah, I mean, there'd be, it clicked seven o'clock at night every night. And I, I'd be laying in bed thinking like, man, I should be running out to shortstop right now in the first thing or whatever. So there are some definitely some tough days, but I just looked at it like I think it came September and I kind of saw the writing on the wall that we probably weren't going to be doing much. And um, I never really took time off anything once we got sent home because I kind of felt like at any time I want to be ready in two weeks. Like they could call me any day and say we're coming down in two weeks and we're going to have some sort of instructs or maybe even a season or something. So in September, I kind of saw the writing on the wall and I kind of, my mindset shifted from like being game ready, game shape to, Hey, let's, this is the first time I've ever had where I wasn't playing. I didn't have to worry about how I did in a week or that night or anything like that. Like let's work on some stuff. I've always had some stuff that I saw that I wanted to work on, but I didn't really like know myself, know my swing, know how to really get the point A to point B. So the Yankees were super helpful remotely with the hitting coaches. And then I got hooked up here in about an hour, hour 20 from my house with my hitting coach, Jason Lefkowitz, who, um, I mean, we really got to work. I think from end of August, beginning of September through February, it was five days a week, like 11 to like 3.34, just um, grinding it out to to try and just get a foundation and a consistent move that I knew I could take ownership of and I could feel good about it so that, I mean, during the season, I didn't really think about my swing ones. I had a couple cues, a couple things I did to get ready before games, but it was really, it was honestly a confidence boost for me just to know that I put in that much work in the off season so that 
regardless of what happened during the season. I didn't have to search or I didn't have to try different things that maybe felt good. I kind of felt like I knew what that what I was doing was going to set me up for the most success. And I don't think I would have had that unless that COVID time. D'Anthony, you said something there that really stood out to me. You said you, you didn't think about your swing as you were going through that season. And yet you hit 27 home runs in a ball. That's pretty rare for a minor league player, especially as young as a 20 year old. They often say power kind of comes last. So if you're not thinking about your swing, if you're not maybe thinking about launch angle and swinging up and stuff like that, how do you think that power came to be in 2021? Yeah, I just thought, you know, even right when I got out of the draft and all throughout up to this year, I felt like I really tried to work really, really hard in the weight room. And um, I, I worked out with buddies and I felt like I was just as strong as a lot of guys. I put in the effort definitely. And um, when I was hitting, I just, I'd see guys smaller than me, like skinnier than me that were hitting it further. So I just thought that there was some stuff that I was, that I had to have been doing that was kind of preventing me actually using my strengths, using my core, using my lower half. And kind of when I realized that what I was doing and started to work on it, I mean, like I said, it was the best feeling because I, I felt way more effortless, way more like I didn't have to try and search for power because it was just there. Like the balls that um, I'd be hitting in years past that were um, even singles or doubles were just going a little bit further. And um, I mean, yeah, like I said, it was just very satisfying because I, I hate trying for power, getting muscly or worrying about where I hit the ball or stuff like that. Cause um, when I start doing that, like I, I, I really struggle. I love your approach. You know, somebody else answered that question, you know, and really going back a couple of questions about what you think about when you're hitting. There was a, a great player for the Yankees named Bernie Williams. I'm sure you heard the name at center fielder. I once asked Bernie Williams, Bernie, what do you think about when you go up to the plate? And you know what his answer was? Exactly what yours was. Nothing. I'm not thinking about mechanics. I'm not thinking about my swing. I'm just letting my natural ability take over. So I love that answer. Uh, keep that approach up because uh, obviously there's times when you need work and you're going to need to think about it. Go, you know, refer to your 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 checkpoints as as you said. Uh, can you give us a, you know a couple of those checkpoints you think about just for young kids coming up? Um, you know, yeah. what what you prepare, what you think. Just a couple of quick checkpoints. I had them when I pitched. I was kind of yeah. curious to what so yours are. For me, I, I mean, it may even sound counterintuitive, but it's not even really mechanical. Like the first thing I always check was what's my timing look like. Like. If I look at my swing, I remember the first time I did live at bats after working on my swing and everything, um, I was like, wow, that does not look good at all. I, I really wasn't pleased or anything, but I realized like, dude, you were just so late. Your swing is going to be messed up because if you're that late, you're going to try and compensate and do stuff that you weren't otherwise doing. So the number one thing I check was I on time for the fastball was, was I on time. And then after that, um, do I have rhythm? Am I dancing with the pitcher? Am I in the box, just loose and rhythmic and everything like that. And then from there, if I'm doing both those things with, which usually if I'm struggling, I'm not doing those things. And if I clean those up, usually I see the ball a lot better, pick it up earlier, able to stay on pitches. And, you know, if, if those two don't happen, then there's, there's some drills I fall back on and stuff like that. But that's kind of where like in season, especially that's where my mind's always at. Like even when in the box, if I'm, 
not seeing a ball well, I just try and pick it up earlier, try and start earlier, try and uh, do stuff like that. Anthony, you mentioned some of the direction that you were given since becoming a pro, whether it is independently or with the Yankees. And the Yankees recently uh, announced their major league coaching staff for 2022. There were a lot of player development guys promoted to the big leagues. And we've heard that they want a lot of organizational symmetry with a hitting approach. What has been stressed to you and other minor league hitters from the coaches, the roving instructors about the organization's hitting philosophy? Yeah, I think it's, it's been great because it's just been so simple and straightforward. I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard it, but our hitting philosophy is hit strikes hard and it may sound simple or cliche on the outside, but in, in reality, I mean, it kind of is, we want to hit the ball make contact. We want, when we do swing and make contact, we want to do it at strikes because that gives us the best ability to hit the ball hard and drive the ball and do damage. So um, I think they've been awesome just communicating that and then also communicating to us how we could get better at that, whether that's in the off season, during the season, before the games. Um, I think everyone takes the really good approach of that. Listen, we're in the minor leagues. Our goal is to get to the major leagues and help the Yankees out. And whether that's doing stuff before the game, that doesn't necessarily feel good, but it's going to get you ready for the game. And it's going to, we're going to compete and we may fail and it may feel weird for a little bit, but um Ultimately, I think everyone's bought into the fact that if we do this, if we train this way, it'll make us better players in the long run. And um, I think that's rung true for a lot of guys. And I think that's why a lot of guys had really good years this year. What are your experiences like with with Dylan Lawson, who's now the, the big league hitting coach? No, he's been awesome. Yeah, he's been the hitting coordinator since I got drafted. And he's just been so helpful. Like the communication, I think, has been the best part, even during – COVID and everything he was in constant contact and um it was awesome so I, I kind of felt like I could hit the ground running and it was kind of a singular voice from when I was home to when I got down to Tampa and then you know Dylan was never my personal hitting coach but on any of the teams I played for but I think he's done such a great job of just preaching his message to the to the affiliated coaches and um when he comes to town it's it's like hitting the ground running, like I said. So um, I, I think the mindset's just just great. He challenges us and we feed off of it and he holds us accountable, especially with, like I said, with the uh, swing decisions and swinging at the pitches you should swing at because um, when you think about it, I mean, it's timing, rhythm, and then are you swinging at good pitches? And a lot of the time, um, me personally, I get myself out. I get too aggressive early or I chase late. So I know that's a lot of guys, but um, him being there and him, having the charts and the leaderboards week to week, I think helps a lot because it's, it shows guys and it makes guys want to get better. Swing decisions. Uh, you've been praised in particular for your plate discipline. And uh, as far as hitting strikes hard and laying off balls, that's the quintessential part of, of hitting. You are well received in uh, swinging at pitches in the zone and laying off pitches outside the zone. What kind of work do you do? For that, is that pitch recognition, or what are the kinds of things that that you do to help on uh, on on your plate discipline skills? Yeah, so I mean, there's definitely a lot of stuff we do pregame and throughout spring training, and um, whether it's colored balls or random BP before the games or stuff like that to kind of try and make it game like. But for me, again, it's um, my timing and my rhythm. When I'm on time and I'm picking up the ball early, I feel like I can make better decisions and 
Um, it, it really is mainly when I'm late. I feel I'm late to the fastball then early to the, to the off-speed stuff. So um, for me, it always comes back to just being on time, being early, being getting down in a good position to hit. And then I feel like I could cover a lot of stuff from there. You know, what, what about uh, the personal side of things? You know, I mean, you signed out of high school, as we mentioned, all your friends. I'm sure you had your, your core group of buddies and guys you hang out with. And then you go down, you have the success and people are anticipating, you know, hey, when are you going to get to the Bronx? When are you going to put the pinstripes on? What's it like for you at home now, reacting to your friends or your social network of people? Uh, how has your life changed? Um, no, I wouldn't really say it's changed that much. I think um, for me, um, I have a really great support system. And whether I'm home or in Tampa, I think the best part for me has been so far. I mean, going in, uh, even I kind of had the preconceived notion of like, oh, pro ball. It's like it's different than college. You don't become as close with the guys. But for me, that's been the best part so far. The guys I've been able to met, meet and um, I have definitely made some lifelong friends up to this point. So kind of. I mean, like you guys said, having the minor league hitting coaches go up and then it kind of is cool for us because um, I've played with guys this whole year, level to level, and we've, we've become so close. So it's cool for us, hopefully, being able to continue to be on the same team and grow up through the system, hopefully, together. You speak Spanish? Uh, enough to conversate. <laughs> no, it's important. It's important. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I feel like I could get by, but the way they speak – them, they speak between themselves. Um, I don't even know if I like full college semesters, everything, if I'd be able to talk with them. <laughs> I would have to think that just being around your teammates is going to be more valuable than the classroom. I don't remember anything that I was taught in my Spanish classes in, in college or even going back to high school. So you probably are getting the best education in a clubhouse or on the diamond in real time with, with people who, uh, you know, speak their, their native tongue and other language like that. What, yeah. um, and I think one of the other things, like when we talk to our Latin teammates, like we want to talk in Spanish, but they also want to talk in English. It's kind <laughs> of like a weird dynamic that I've seen that like there, there's literally been conversations that I've had in other, my teammates where we're talking in Spanish and they're responding to us in English. And it's like the funniest, like weird dynamic. I th- that makes me think about another guy that you are, are kind of now organically paired with here with the whole shortstop narrative is yourself and uh, Oswald Peraza. I know he's a couple of levels ahead of you. He played in AAA this year, but do you know Oswald? Have you met him before and, and have you seen him play? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We, um, I've never played with him, but we've obviously had my first year. We had instructs. We were grouped up. We had, early spring training at strength camp. And then this year spring training. And um, he's awesome. He's the man. He, he works super, super hard and um, he's super talented. And it's, it's, it's cool to kind of have someone like that. That's he's just a year older than me, but we're kind of going through the same stuff and playing with the same guys and everything. So um, he's been awesome. And someone to honestly look up to the way he plays defense, the way he hits everything. He's, he's just really, really good player. And um but at the same time, there's a ton of guys in the system. Um, a couple guys got traded, Josh Smith and Ezekiel Duran. But, um, yeah, I feel like we have a lot, a lot of guys that um, are super hard workers and um, are really, really good players. Yeah, Josh Smith, guys, uh, he's a TikTok star. He's He, <laughs> he, he was one of the first uh, pro ball players. He, he kind of documented getting traded and what it was like 
packing up his car with his wife. And I think he went to Hickory, uh, South Carolina, when, when the Yankees and the Rangers made the Gallo trade. He was part of that deal for Joey Gallo. And it was pretty f- funny how, how him and his wife documented packing up the car in the middle of the night, making the drive uh, to Hickory, and then him being in uniform, you know, 20, you know, 48 hours later. And that, that's, that's where we're at in 2021, right? Very, very different, David. But uh, jo- Josh Smith, that's how I obviously knew the name. Heading into you know the 21, 2021 season, uh, 2019 stuff like that. But then, I, ironically, you know we have ties to the Yankees, and now I'm following him on TikTok because of him documenting his life on social media after being traded uh, out of the Yankee organization. It's a it's a great point, Anthony. I, I guess that's kind of a question. You know, when I first when I signed out of high school, I had no clue, didn't know what to do, ended up in low A ball. Got a couple of roommates. We slept on the floor. I slept on my clothes. You know, I mean, I, we, we had to rent the apartment out. It was a dump. Uh, somebody threw out a love seat next door. We ran out to the curb to grab the love seat, drag it into our apartment. I mean, what was that like for you? I mean, I, I'm, obviously, uh, you got the support of your family and everybody, but finding housing, uh, that's a big deal. It's changed. So Major League Baseball now has agreed to pay for housing for the minor league players. But what was that experience like for you? Yeah, I mean, I was actually talking with actually Mr. Leiter the other day. And I think luckily for us, we have it as good as we possibly could have it. I have a place in Tampa that over COVID and spring training. And when I played for the Tarpons, I stayed at and four other guys stayed with me. So that was awesome. We didn't, I say it was fake minor leagues in Tampa because we didn't never stayed in the hotel. We worked at a GMS. Then we commuted. If we ever played on the road, we had six game sets and off day every week. And then when I got called up to Hudson Valley, they put us up in a hotel. We didn't have to pay for anything. It was 15, 20 minutes from the field. And then I was an hour and 20 minutes from my house. So we'd play Sunday matinee games. And I drive home after the games to get a home cooked meal, spend the off day at home. And then the next stop would be Somerset, which is 15 minutes from my house. So we may have the whole team staying at our house this, this year. But um, uh, I think it's been an awesome just bonding experience really because I I was saying it to people earlier but when I was in low a there was one player on our team that had played a full season all the other guys it was their first taste of full season baseball so we kind of like looked for any not veteran but like any guy that had experience as little as it was we treated that like experience so you'd lean on guys like that my friend Max Bird, he was with us for the first week and he's been like an older brother to me, but um, it, it's, it's, it's a blast for me. That's, that's the part I missed the most over COVID and then has been the best part this past year, just the downtime with the guys in the clubhouse and the house after stuff like that. If the Volpe family being the, the marquee host family around minor league baseball in 2022, <laughs> when, when Anthony gets to double a Somerset. So that's a great ballpark, by the way. And uh, yeah, I mean, it only makes sense to be living with the fam at that point, save some coin. And it's a, you know, a, a great place to be, but Anthony, we're, we're a pitching podcast here. So I, I know there's your buddy, Jack Leiter, and he figures to be a, a fast riser through the Rangers system. So what should we know about your buddy, Jack? And also if there was uh, you know, a guy that, you faced in 2021 that really stood out. Who should we be keeping an eye on in some of these minor league pitchers? Yeah, Jack's, I always say it, by far the best pitcher I ever faced. I don't think a lot, a lot of people have like watched him on TV and 
and seen him, but nothing does his fastball justice to what does in, in the batter's box. Um, over COVID, we were doing live ABs, and there was it was Jack and then a couple other big league guys, probably like four or five big league guys. And every single hitter there that day said Jack was the, the toughest pitcher to face just because obviously no one's fastball rises, but as low as he gets and as short as his arm is, um, it just doesn't go down as much as other guys. So you'll take pitches that out of the hand you expect to be below the zone and then you turn around, look at the catcher and his gloves right behind home plate. So um, you definitely, it's definitely just a different approach, a different, um, like for me, when I face them, what I kind of took from this year is whenever the guys have ride or jump or whatever, I have to treat it like three to four miles an hour faster. And when Jack's now throwing 98, 99, hundred, it's going to be tough to treat that like 104 or 103. So, um, and then obviously his curveball is, is awesome, devastating. And so you're just tough. And that's why I think he obviously has earned and, and is the pitcher that everyone says he is from my personal experience. But um, in the organization, we have some amazing pitchers. I got to, I got to face them, a lot of them in spring training and um, Hayden Wisniewski is nasty. Ken Waldachuk's nasty lefty. And I mean, that's just two guys, but there's a bunch and they really, it, a lot of hitters took steps forward, but I mean, I think Hayden put on like three to four miles an hour and is as funky as it gets those slider frisbee sliders that start from behind your back and i just think a lot of guys just took a lot of stuff from covid that you would i think a lot of guys separated themselves because some guys you know really didn't work but i think the guys that really kind of had the different perspective of like let's take this time and try and get better i think it really showed this past season and hopefully in the years to come That's really interesting. I, 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 I would have to assume that if you saw that, that was pro- pretty much the case for every organization, maybe every minor league that players were playing in. You, you could probably tell, okay, this guy, you know, maybe sat on his hands a little bit during that long layoff. And maybe that guy, like, you know, like you said, you know, took control of your career because you kind of weren't getting as much direction as you normally would. That's, that's very interesting. Was there a guy that you faced outside the Yankees organization that really caught your eye? Thing wise. Um, yeah, there's a couple guys from the pirates. Krim Priester had a really good like cutter off his like two seam. Um, a couple relievers. I don't really remember their names from the pirates. There was a pitcher for the Mets that threw like one Oh three first time I ever faced that hard. And um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other guys that I'm forgetting. I, I probably, because I try and forget those at bats, but um, <laughs> that's the right mentality. Yes. The yeah. the pitchers. They, <laughs> they know your name, make them know your name. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, the, that's for me been the best part is just been how good the competition has been for me at this point. I think it makes me so much better and all the guys so much better that just, you're facing the best competition you possibly could be facing as a 20 year old, really every, every night, nonstop for five at bats. It's not like you're facing a guy um, for two at bats, you get him out of the game and then there's a big drop off. If anything, they get better as the game goes on. So I just viewed it like every night, the games are getting you better where um, hopefully one day I've, I've, I've had so many pitchers, a whole database of pitches and arm slots and release points that, 
um, I could draw back on and my brain just recognizes and then able to hit it and figure it out. You have this dynamite season in your first real extended pro season. You, you were at an event that celebrated you. And I know you were honored at an event uh, in early December and Aaron Boone was there, the Yankees manager. Did you guys have a chance to talk? And, and if so, what were you two discussing? Yeah, I, I've met him a couple of times at um, when I signed in spring training a couple of times, and he's super nice. He, my first impression was just how, when I first met him, how welcoming he was of an 18-year-old young kid. So um, he's been super, super nice, and the whole staff's really been always there for me. And um, at the same time, like, I want to impress him, and when I play, I want to do well and everything. But um, just how welcoming he was and how he made me feel like I was part of the team, even though, even when I was 18, I was as far away as I could possibly be, but um, he's, he's a really good guy. And he, he treated my, uh, my grandparents were there that night and my parents. So he was, he was awesome to them. And um, I couldn't thank him enough for that. And David, I know I asked you this about that pinch me moment when you were drafted by the Royals, Anthony, what has been the, the biggest pinch me moment for you since you became a member of, of the Yankees organization, the team that you grew up watching? Um, I'd probably say I got to play in a, I got one at bat in a spring training game in 2019. Um, they, it was really cool. Um, Mr. Cairo or Miguel Cairo was our infield coordinator. And he was like, AV, you're going for emergency, but just sit in the dugout and just eavesdrop on everyone. Just like taking as much as you possibly can. And I did. And I was like, I wasn't even on the the lineup card. I was an, an emergency player. And uh, Carlos Mendoza, our bench coach, um, took me aside and was like, um, he showed me me subbing in for Gary Sanchez. I was going to DH for him for an at bat. And it was, it was awesome. Like I, I was locked in obviously to the game, but obviously not to playing. And then when he told me that I got like this immediate, like, adrenaline rush everything start moving around get the jitters and I think he told me that at the like with one out in the inning I was going to lead off that next inning and then we get two outs I'm all ready to go and then I think there was like 30 minutes for the next out to get so I'm just standing there walking the dugout all the big league guys are pretty much left and it's just me and like a couple other guys I'm just moving around getting stiffed and trying to keep going and then Finally, I, I got the at-bat. I, I grounded out, but th- that was a pretty cool moment. So that was really the first time that you were, you know, putting on the real uniform and, and sitting in the dugout there. Did, did you sit next to anyone? Did you talk to anyone other than, like you mentioned, Carlos Mendoza? Were there any other players that you talked to? Um, A little bit. I mean, those guys were playing. I tried to um, kind of pick my moments. I'm not the best at that, to be completely honest, but I sat with – um, the whole game, Travis Chapman, who's now um, our big league first base coach, but he was our, at that time, he was our assistant infield coordinator. Now he was our um, infield coordinator. And he, it was really cool because all the stuff that we were working on every single day, I mean, we were working really hard in spring training or it was early spring training at that point, but all the stuff we were working on, it was cool to see because I was sitting with him and we were watching the big we were watching Luke Voigt. I remember we watched for like one or two innings and he was working on his pre-pitch and his first step. And it was the exact same stuff that we had worked on for the two weeks prior to that. So I think just seeing that, like the stuff we obviously had bought in and we knew um, what we were working on was obviously writing and to make us better. But then when you actually go up there and see it and see 
the guys that are where you want to be work on the same stuff and how hard they work is really motivating for us and for me especially. Okay, I have one last little uh, hitting approach question for you. So uh, first, first at bat in the big leagues, uh, Max Scherzer's on the mound. Are you going to take a pitch? Or are you going to jump on that first pitch you see? Your first at bat in the big leagues, what's your approach? I'm jumping on it as much as I can humanly <laughs> possibly jump on a pitch. <laughs> Is that your, I mean, do you generally, you're ready to hit for the first pitch on, right? You're, I know it's aggressive, but selective. I know it's the yin and yang of hitting. You want to swing at strikes. I get it. But are you a first pitch hacker guy? Are you a guy that is aggressive? Definitely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I always want to, that's kind of why I love leading off because um, I love leading off, especially to start a game. Cause to me, that could be, you could ambush them right there, set the tone. And um, yeah, I love, love hitting the first pitch. <laughs> nice. I love that. I love that answer. Cause that, that puts pressure on the pitcher for me. I wanted to know that the first thing I wanted to know about a lineup I was facing was who are the first ball hitters who will spot me a strike. And ironically, you know, one of the best hitters I ever faced was Mike Piazza and he would spot me a strike. So I could just lay one in there, you know, and get a lot of the plate and get strike one. He was confident in hitting with two strikes. But, you know, if, if you're leading off the game and I know well, yeah, I got to get a strike, but, but uh, you know, uh, Anthony Volpe's hitting, he's going he's gonna to jack me if I, if I get too much of the plate. That's a good approach. You know, if you get a good pitch, you're ready to hit, you know, puts pressure on me as the pitcher. Now I feel like I got to paint it, you know, or I, I got to yeah. break it off or something. I got to do something different. I got to be a little bit more careful. So, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, I definitely I've talked to Jack about it a lot. And yeah, like you said, they all want to get ahead, especially the first batter of the game. They want to get off to a hot start. And then even if I can take a good swing or feel like I'm on time, it makes them maybe the next time you face the team, like, hey, Volpe's going to be ready for the first pitch. Maybe I have to be a little careful. And then if he throws a ball, I'm 1-0. And then I love hitting 1-0 a lot more than 0-0. So, um, yeah, I definitely, definitely always love to be ready to hit first pitch. Anthony, as we wrap things up here, I want to give you a chance to tell people as 2022 approaches and look, the Yankee minor league affiliates aren't too far from New York. You have Somerset is in central Jersey, about an hour away. Hudson Valley where, where you ended 2021 is about an hour North Scranton's not too far either in Pennsylvania. So for when people come out to watch Anthony Volpe play for the first time, let them know what they could be expecting. Yeah, I, I, I kind of try and pride myself on being the guy that will do anything that the team needs to win. And um, that, for me, has been the best part of playing again. And over COVID, that was like one of the worst parts is just not competing. And I, I, love, I love going out there and trying to win. And um, we fell short this past year in high A, but we were really pushing for the playoffs. And um, we really wanted to win it. And it sucked not to. So I think not just me, but that's been the best part for the whole Yankees organization is everyone wants to win. Everyone cares about winning. We hate losing. And, and I'd hope that whenever someone would watch me play that they can see that and see how much we want to win. And we're not just going out there, going through the motions. And um, we take, I, I tried to take pride in that because um, baseball is awesome. Baseball is the most fun game in the world. And to me, what makes it fun is going out there competing and winning and um yeah, and there's a lot of guys in the organization like that. We got Austin Wells, Elijah Dunham <laughs> hate, hates it and and hates losing. And I think that's what makes us have such great years throughout the system because all the guys are high character guys that really, really care about the right stuff and have their priorities in order. So it should be exciting 
coming up these next couple of years. Nice. You know, I, one of the best pieces of advice that that's, uh, a couple of veteran players gave me was uh, don't be in a hurry to get to the big leagues, but when you get there, you stay, it's more important to stick. You know, you, when you, when you get there, you're there for 20 years, like Derek Jeter was right. I mean, that's, that's the motive. And sometimes you get a little too anxious. I got to get there. I got to get to the big leagues sooner, sooner, sooner that eh, I get that. I understand that, but you know, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, keep putting up the numbers when the time is right, it will happen. And then when it does happen, you ain't coming back. Your minor league days are over. So when you get there, you stick. So we wish you all the best, Anthony. Yeah. Yes, yeah, thanks. For me, it sounds weird, but a lot of people have told me that. But I just feel like, especially this past year, they're like, oh, you make it, whatever. I was like, I'm just having so much fun in the moment with my teammates, with the guys. Like, I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. And then whenever I did get the call for Hudson Valley, it was kind of like a shock. Like, I haven't seen some of those guys since then. So I just try and it's a lot easier said than done, but just enjoy every moment with these guys because they're, they're great guys. And um, it's a lot of fun. Perfect mentality, perfect approach to have Anthony. Thanks so much for uh, joining us here. Congratulations on a great 2021 season and happy new year. Best of luck as we approach the 2022 season. Thanks guys. Yeah. Happy new year. David, you have been around a lot of players, a lot of young players, some minor leaguers as well. What stands out to you about the conversation we had with, with Anthony? You know, there's, there's something very polished about him for how young he is. Uh, he just seems to get it. And, you know, I know, again, you know, I said before, that's kind of hard to, to put a number on those sorts of things, the maturity factor, uh, uh, there's a lot of old school terms. He's a gamer. He's a team player. Uh, you know, th- there's a lot of cliches I could throw at you. But when you talk to him, the way he answers your questions, the, the quiet confidence that he has, uh, the-, the remarkable knowledge of the game he already has, and the knowledge of his swing and his style. And also, when, when he first signed, as James Smythe told us, you know, he got mononucleosis, and he-, he missed some time. He was sick. He was the number one draft. He came out. Well, you know what he did during COVID? He got better. He got in the weight room. He got stronger. He took it very seriously. He sounds like the guy that just will leave no stone unturned until he gets to the big leagues and has success. Uh, he's, he's, uh, he's got his eye on the prize, and it is very apparent when you see him and talk to him, and it's, it's impressive. You know, I, I know there's still a lot to prove, and, you know, the minor league numbers, it's one year. Yeah, you know, prospects are prospects, but boy, if you want to bet on somebody, you know, Anthony Volpe is a pretty good kid to bet on. Yeah, I think you hear a lot about prospects and just young pro athletes in general setting themselves up for their own success, doing the necessary things that are going to help guide them toward that path of success. But a lot of times it happens, they get on that track through failure. It, it might take an event or something to happen to them for, for them to embrace that learning experience and then apply it into that path that is going to put them on to success. But for Anthony, I mean, he's only 20. He really hasn't dealt with too much career adversity as a professional. So it feels like he was able to do these things on his own before he tasted real failure. So I think that's what really sticks out. And I think that says a lot about, you know, the head that's on the shoulders for, uh, for Anthony Volpe. So it was great talking to him. And uh, hopefully it's not the last time, you know, hopefully we'll have him back on here uh, in the future 
as he gets ready for the, the 2022 season. All right, James, last week of 2021, last week of the year, what do we have for this week in pitching history? All right, guys. Well, we have we, this time of year is going to be a lot of transactions, trades, free agency. We're going to go back to the first modern free agent, the dawn of the free agency era, New Year's Eve, 1974. So that's going to be 47 years ago on Friday. Catfish Hunter signs as a free agent with the Yankees. Now he was the ace of the Charlie Finley Oakland A's dynasty. They won three straight championships. Uh, He had signed a two-year $200,000 deal with a clause that in both years, half of his salary would be deferred and put into a life insurance annuity. So come August in that first season in 74, Charlie Finley, the A's owner, uh, hadn't made any payments. And he was brushing off letters from Hunter's lawyers and things like that. And then in October, right before the playoffs begin, the story breaks, the A's win their third World Series and Hunter files a grievance for breach of contract because they never made those payments. One of the early victories for Marvin Miller in the, and the Players Association was that if there were any disputes it wouldn't be decided by the commissioner. It was going to be independent arbitration, an independent panel. So you'd have Marvin Miller on the player side, a lawyer from the, from the MLB side, and an independent person as the third vote to, to decide a dispute. In that case, this was uh, Peter Seitz. Um, on December 16th, 1974, he ruled in Hunter's favor, voiding his contract, and he made him a free agent. So that sends off this big frenzy for a couple of weeks executives from all over baseball are coming in on little Ahoskie, North Carolina, where Hunter, uh, where Hunter lived in the off season and tons of teams are in the bidding pretty much every team in the, in the majors. Uh, the Padres were the front runner, but the Yankees swooped in at the last minute and got catfish for a five-year three and a half million dollar deal, which was actually less than the Padres and Royals were offering. So they agreed to the deal on December 31st, but the Yankees want to get the deal done before the new year for tax purposes. So they all scramble to fly to New York, scribbling out the contract on a legal pad during the flight. And then they have the press conference that night before the ball drop. So Catfish cashes in, ushering in the free agency era. 1975 All-Star, second in the Cy Young to Jim Palmer, second in ERA, led the majors in innings. 1976, All-Star again, about 300 more innings, one in AL pennant, 77 and 78, helps lead the Yankees to two more world championships to go with his three from Oakland. Uh, and then come 1979, the final season, injuries had started to take his toll, uh, arm trouble, diabetes. Uh, he retired at just 33 uh, at the end of that contract. And uh, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1987. So Catfish Hunter, one of the best pitchers of his era, and he helped uh, bring on an, an era of free agency in baseball. Yeah, now you know why free agency is so important to the players, right? Just that example is a great example, one of the earliest ones, obviously, maybe the earliest one. And you wonder why the players uh, want to protect that because you find out what you're worth if you've got other teams bidding on you and you have a choice actually as a player to choose in a free open market, you know, where you want to play and also find out what your value is. That's the only time a, a baseball player can truly find out what his true value is, is in that scenario. And with owners like George Steinbrenner as well. And that, that was kind of the beginning of George Steinbrenner's legacy too, of pushing the system. And, you know, if you want to know why players are so against salary caps and so against, uh, you know, market restrictions, that's a great example right there. Because the only time you find out, you know, uh, what people think about you is if there's an open market and you've got a chance to be, you've got a chance to field several offers and several bids. 
I know Sandy Koufax uh, also, you know, he retired really young. I, I, it didn't dawn on me how young Catfish Hunter was when he retired, like you said, James, 33. So he's got to be one of the youngest guys to get elected to the Hall of Fame. I know Koufax is the youngest, but Catfish Hunter has to be right in there. But yeah, I mean, when, whenever I do think about the advent of free agency, Catfish Hunter is one of the names that immediately comes to mind. So, uh, David, everything that you just said rings so true right there. And, and it's, it's because of, of players like Catfish Hunter. Also, uh, you know, the, the, maybe the neglection of an owner like Charlie Finley that kind of put some of this stuff into motion. There, there, those, are, those are some names that definitely enter my mind when you want to discuss the, the start of free agency and how important the beginning of all that uh, came to be and, you know, how that came to be and, and why it is so significant even to this day in, in 2021. Three up, three down, guys, as we close the show here this week. David, why don't you go first as we try to shed some light on a topic that's going on around the sport or something that is related to the baseball industry? Well, you know, I, I, it's it's kind of a petty little thing, but it, it certainly caught my attention. And I know if you follow any Major League Baseball players, you'll notice that uh, in their avatar, there's a little invisible man. There's a cutout for where a pitcher used to be, where an actual pitcher used to be. And, uh, you know, Major League Baseball has instituted this sort of ban on, uh, you know, any pitchers or any marketing or even talking to any player. So can you imagine, you know, uh, if you're Buck Showalter, you can't call Francisco Lindor right now. You can't talk to anybody at all. You can't just say, hello, hi, I'm Buck Showalter. You, you know, all the players are, you know, if you look around, all the players are kind of uh, unified. Uh, if you look on their Twitter accounts, there's just the invisible man there. There's no longer their picture or their uniform. And, uh, you know, to me, it's kind of petty. I mean, it's not Major League Baseball Players Association isn't in on this, didn't want any part of this. Major League Baseball side, the owner side say it's part of the labor agreement that they don't have now because it's during a lockout. So, so therefore they can't do this. Well, come on, we're talking about pitchers. You know, it seems kind of petty to me, James. I don't know. I know you've got some more examples, but yeah, I, I don't get it. Tit for tat. Um, it's, it's kind of ridiculous in my mind. Right. Uh, the, uh, the Cespedes family barbecue guys uh, uh, with Fox Sports uh, had, a, had a story this week uh, talking about how, uh, among other players, Lucas Giolito uh, couldn't talk to Ethan Katz, a longtime friend who is now uh, his pitching coach with the White Sox. Uh, Charlie Morton um, rehabbing an injury uh, and, and not being able to, to talk to various uh, folks in the Braves organization and the staff. And the, the silly thing about it is it's not that there needs to be this, this blackout on, on conversation between, between anyone with the two sides. You can talk. It's just that you're not supposed to be talking about the lockout and about labor issues. Um, they were also talking about how it's wedding season in the baseball offseason. And, you know, you might have a player getting married and, and somebody with an organization as a guest. You're allowed to talk, but it, it is just a silly, uh, a silly distinction that MLB is making. I think you have you have Zach Britton and his brother, too. And I, I'm pretty sure his brother's name's Buck. So you have Zach yep. and, and Buck Britton. Buck is a coach in the Orioles minor league system. So you have two brothers that are on one side of the street. And technically, you know, if you're going to abide by these rules, you can't talk to one another. Well, that's completely unrealistic, especially around this time when you're probably spending holidays together. The, the ironic part of all this, James, is that, yeah, you you can talk to one another. It just can't be about this labor. But 
I would have to think that under that roof for the holidays, when this stuff is at the center of every baseball discussion, there's going to be that one family member who, you know, kind of brings it up and they're probably then getting a, uh, you know, a deadpan look, the, the, the two Britain brothers getting a deadpan look to, you know, each other and saying, yeah, this is definitely not the place we can go. But, yeah. uh, but that, that's gotta be a, you know, one of the dreaded holiday topics, you know, for, for a younger person, Hey, you dating anyone? Uh, you know, why aren't you married yet? And then for them this year, it's uh, man, what's going on with this baseball lockout? Fill me in, boys. And uh, they, they can't do that. Well, they could just go, Sonny Corleone, we don't talk business at the table. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. Uh, that, was, that was in that story as well. That, that really jumped out. Zach and Buck Britton, they're, they're having probably a, a difficult offseason if you want to go by these strict rules that don't really need to be uh, put in place. James, what do you have? Three up, three down. Um. Going back to something we touched on in the opener uh, portion with the baseballs, um, real quick, uh, it seems to be about 120 baseballs used per MLB game, which is, I don't have off the top uh, what the older numbers were, but it is much higher than, than in years past. Uh, 120 baseballs, an average MLB game has about 300 pitches, so it's about once every two or three pitches, a ball is in, a ball is out. And like uh, Justin, you said, the, uh, the short lifespan of an MLB baseball. But I'll keep it real uh, short and sweet here for three up, three down. A New Year's uh, wish for all of our uh, wonderful listeners. Uh, for you pitchers uh, on the mound and for the rest of us metaphorically, may you all overperform relative to your fielding and independent <laughs> pitching in 2022. <laughs> That is a New Year's goal that I think every pitcher probably has, if not physically written down, etched into the back of their mind. That That's probably a number, a goal that they have and that they want to attain here in 2022. So well said, James, for sure. I'm going to close it out with, you know, laying some significance or knowledge, whether or not you know this or not. This week is the pinstripe bowl at Yankee Stadium. It's a place all three of us work during the baseball season. It is typically held between Christmas and New Year's uh, and, and with, you know, everyone's new workflow. It's now like one of the very few days that I make it out to the stadium during the off season. So it's something that I definitely look forward to now more than before, you know, the pandemic set in because I obviously love going to, to Yankee Stadium. I love going to work there, but also because in my mind, I always have thought of the pinstripe bowl as the midway point of the off season. And usually the period following the pinstripe bowl leading up to spring training really flies by. So let's hope for the same this year and go football. Right. Uh, no, I, I really hope that we, uh, we remain on that schedule because when you think about it, tail end of December, you only have a little over a month before things are supposed to happen in Arizona and in Florida. So that's what I think of when I, you know, whenever this week comes around, uh, it's the pinstripe bowl. Well, Man, warmer weather and baseball are just around the corner. So we uh, we should close on that happy, warm thought. And also, like you mentioned, James, uh, to very healthy FIPS for the pitchers in, in 2022. Guys, have anything else before we close out this show and uh, 2021? Just a happy new year to everybody. We'll see you in the new year with a lot of great episodes coming up. We've got uh, some Hall of Fame pitchers. And we've got some young guys, so we're going to go back and forth and, and cover all the bases here on toe in the slab and 
you know, Anthony Volpe was a, was a great one here and a young and up and comer. And we're gonna, I, I won't tell you who, but I got some Hall of Fame friends, pitchers, they're going to be coming on in the new year. So stay tuned and have a great new year. Yeah, a wide range of guests coming up shortly here as we uh, flip the calendar to 2022. Want to thank Anthony Volpe for joining us and closing out the uh, 2021 year with us here on Toe in the Slab. Thanks to you, the listener, of course. A reminder, please rate, review, subscribe. Let us know what you think of the podcast. New episodes drop every Tuesday. That's not going to change in 2022 either. So for David, for James, for our great producer, Dan Rourke, I'm Justin Shackle. Thank you for listening. Toe in the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn is a production of John Boy Media. Happy New Year, everybody.